It's Friday, July 24th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and this is a special edition post-game wrap-up show from the Indians. Two to nothing victory, season opener against the Kansas City Royals at Progressive Field. Uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll go through some audio clips and some highlights from the game. And we'll also hear from Terry Francona, uh, Oscar Mercado, Shane Bieber, their thoughts on the effort. Uh, the big story of the night, of course, was Shane Bieber, who set a club record with 14 strikeouts in, in an opening day start. He moved past Gary Bell, who had 12 in the 1960 opener, and Sam McDowell, who had 11 in the 1970 opener. So the Indians' record now rests with Bieber, 14 strikeouts against Kansas City in this opening night victory. His effort tied Randy Johnson and Don Drysdale for the second most strikeouts ever in a team's first game of the season. Camilo Pasquale had 15 strikeouts in the 1960 opener for the Washington Senators, and that's the all-time major league record for openers. Bieber, he, he kind of scuffled in the first couple of innings, uh, but worked into a groove and, and struck out the side in the second, fourth, and fifth innings. He pitched six scoreless innings and allowed four hits and a walk uh, total. So, And then Adam Simber, Nick Wickren, and Brad Hand came on to close the door out of the bullpen. Hand picked up his first uh, save for the effort. But it was really uh, Bieber's night uh, on the mound. He, he looked unhittable. At times, uh, he had more than 20 swings and misses uh, for the Royals hitters. Uh, they were guessing when they guessed curveball, he threw a fastball and threw it by him. Uh, when they were looking for, for something, you know, out over the plate, he would throw a curveball in on their hands and, and tie him up. He, he really had all of his pitches working, and even when he didn't have his best slider, as, as Terry Francona pointed out, he was able to go to his changeup, and his curveball to, to sort of keep the hitters off balance. Uh, offensively, the Indians didn't do very much. All of their runs came in the fifth inning when Oscar Mercado bounced an RBI single up the middle and Cesar Hernandez added an RBI double. But after that, the middle of the order kind of sputtered out with the bases loaded, and that pretty much short-circuited any chance at a big inning for the Indians. Uh, Terry Francona, not too pleased about that. But, you know, at, at this point, a win's a win. And in a shortened season, a win is, a win is more like two and a half wins, really. So you take them any way you can get them. Bieber was magnificent. Uh, you cannot say enough about his effort, especially just to stay ready and stay prepared and stay stretched out long enough to go six innings in an opening day start at this point, after ramping up at, the, at, at spring training back in March and then ramping down and then coming back in, in spring training 2.0 and just being ready to, to attack right from the get-go. Uh, here's what Terry Francona had to say about his ace after the game. And here's a little bit about Francona talking about what Beaver's sort of growing into in, in a leadership role as well. I thought he was outstanding. You know, first inning, they made him work. Um, he didn't have his best slider, kind of went to his cutter, I think, more than his slider. And then the fifth, he had to work again. But for him to get through six on opening night, that's, that's, that's pretty good pitching. And there were a lot of strikeouts in there. I don't know how many he had. 
but there was a bunch. Uh, he had a, I think it's 14. I think that's the opening day record uh, for the Cleveland Indians and one away from a major league record. Okay, that's a bunch. You know, when I say he makes the glass look half full, that would be the biggest understatement. He's, he's really, I mean, when I, the things I say to you guys, I actually really mean him. I mean, he's, he's really something. I think he is learning on the run, not only how to be a guy that can anchor your pitching staff, but how to be a leader too. And I don't think he's shying away from that. I think he's doing it in a really good way where it's not the loudest guy in the room, but he leads by example, the way he carries himself. And you're going to see him grow into a tremendous leader on that pitching staff. Now, Shane Bieber was asked afterward what it was like to get out there with no fans in the stands and, and how hard it was for him to, to find his rhythm, especially early. Uh, he was also asked about what it's like to take on a, a greater leadership role with the club. And here's what Shane Bieber had to say. Uh, I was pumped. Uh, you can probably tell I was a little, little jittery, uh, a little excited, which is always a good thing. Um, that first inning was a little bit shaky, but ended up working through it. Um, came back out there in a second, continued to progress and, and get better and get a little bit more comfortable. Um, just given the situation, there was a lot of news today. Uh, a lot of new things for, for, for everybody, really. Uh, no fans in the stands. It was, <clears throat> we thought, at least I thought I was prepared for it, uh, having practice, you know, against your own team. But it was different when you got another team, another player stepping in the box that you haven't seen, um, you know, potentially at all. And there's no fans in the stands and there's pumped in crowd noise and um, it's a little bit synthetic, but uh, ended up getting used to it and, and fell into a, uh, a nice little rhythm. When, when I get into a rhythm like that, I'm attacking until I get to two strikes and then that's when I'm trying to miss barrels. Uh, if I can get a quick out on one of the first two or one of the first three pitches, I will gladly take that and go deeper into the game and, and as deep as I can into the game. Um, but I feel like I had a lot of, three pitch strikeouts today. And, and that was just me trying to be aggressive and, uh, and, and get as deep into the ball game as possible. That's a spot that I'm comfortable in. And that's a spot that I embrace. And I've been, you know, kind of in that role or in that spot uh, a few times with, you know, other teams back in college, back in high school, uh, and then moving up the ranks with, with the Indians. Um, so it's definitely something I embrace. It's definitely something I look forward to. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, <laughs> this staff and this rotation, uh, we have a lot of guys that are capable of that as well. So it's definitely an exciting thing altogether. The other big headline of the night was the Indians' choice of uniform. And I guess uh, that really doesn't uh, sort of ever set off an alarm uh, any other time of the year. But when the team comes out wearing their uh, blue road jerseys instead of their home whites or their uh, alternate red jerseys, uh, especially during a week when you've got conversations about the team nickname uh, out there. And uh, Paul Dolan, the, the, the owner, had met with players earlier in the week about the name and about their uh, decisions moving forward. Uh, a conversation that Terry Francona characterized as uh, very mature and, and, you know, great questions and, and great dialogue from both Dolan and the players. Uh, 
Francona said he was very proud of, of not just the players, but just the whole, the whole organization for the, the approach that they've taken uh, to this whole name controversy. Of course, with Washington setting aside their football team's nickname of the Redskins, uh, it, it really has sort of put the Indians on the clock. And I think the, the players wanted to serve notice. So they chose to wear their blue uh, alternate road uniforms that say Cleveland across the chest rather than Indians. Uh, it's probably going to be a one-time deal. I, I think the, the, the sense we got was that the players might have wanted this to be sort of a, an everyday thing, that they would only wear those blue jerseys at home, and, and you would never see the Indians' name across their chest this season. But I think uh, part of it is, is, you know, taking what you can get, and uh, there might be fines involved or – the league might step in because of, you know, uniform policies and whatnot. So uh, I think if they're only going to have it, you know, be this, this one game uh, to start to send a message, I think that was effective. Uh, as, as far as what the Indians players wanted to get out of this, uh, it was a silent but powerful gesture. They, they chose to wear their road Navy uniforms at home, uh, saying Cleveland rather than Indians. So here's what Shane Bieber and Oscar Mercado both had to say about that decision from within the clubhouse afterwards and what they hope to achieve by that gesture. It was a, a message we were trying to send. It was a statement we were trying to provide. And I feel like um, it, was, it was a really good one. It, it came out of uh, you know, our hearts. And I know that the team name is something – uh, very endearing to a lot of Tribe fans that have been following us for a long, long time. But um, moving forward, I think it's you know it's up to the front office and and ownership, and and they're taking actions of their own to, uh, you know, see where it goes. But uh, from a team standpoint, uh, I feel like we're all on board with that tonight. We just at the uh, we just kind of want things to, you know, we we kind of want to send a message and know that what we stand for is equality. Um, we want we want uh, fairness to everyone, and we're we're just you know we're trying to show that what Cleveland Indians baseball is about. Um, I do believe that at the end of the day, it's all about everyone just being um, up to date and educated on everything that's going on. Um, it's all about it's a matter of you know accepting everything and you know knowing knowing exactly what's ahead of you in the world. Um, it's a tough time right now um, with everything going on, but I think at the end of the day, positivity and um, and love is what's going to get us through it. So I think um, that's kind of what we're trying to show and unity as well. And that's kind of our goal. The night also included uh, small gestures and, and sort of big ones. Uh, a couple of players took a knee, including Francisco Lindor, Mike Clevenger, uh, prior to the national anthem, as uh, all the players on the field held a uh, a, a black uh, rope sort of looking piece of material to unite them and co uh, connect them while uh, the Black Lives Matter message was shown on the scoreboard. And it was also uh, a, a really sort of neat time without fans in the stands. The Indians organization uh, managed to get videos from all the players and their families and put a message up on the board uh, for the players, for their, their, their 
girlfriends, their wives, their children, their moms and dads, uh, everybody sent a quick cell phone video in and they played that video on the scoreboard prior to the game. The, the players all uh, you know, thought it was outstanding and, and were, were really happy. Shane Bieber said, you know, it was, it's tough not having your family in the stands when they would normally be there to cheer you on, uh, especially on a big day like your, your first opening day start. And just having that little, that little gesture from the club was, was big for the guys. I'm sure it went a long way. So let's jump into some questions that have been submitted. If you are an Indians subtext subscriber, this is how you can exclusively get on the, the, the post-game show uh, after uh, as many of these games as we can. Uh, we're going to uh, do post-game shows at night and talk about what went on in the game. You can submit your questions. Uh, second guess Tito because here's a, here's a place where uh, he's almost guaranteed never to hear it. <laughs> so go ahead and uh, submit your questions about a play, about a strategy, and we'll, we'll talk through them as, as best we can. Our first question here submitted uh, from Tom in Mount Vernon, and he wants to know, are there going to be any tough 40-man roster decisions once the rosters start to decrease as the season goes on. And Chris Antonetti, prior to today's game, actually did get uh, a chance to meet with the media, and he talked about it and, and said they've been planning and strategizing for these roster cutdowns. The 30-man roster, the 30-man active roster, uh, is going to get cut to 28 after the first two weeks of play and then down to the 26th, which, which was what it was going to be played at Originally this season for a 162-game schedule, they were going to play with a 26-man roster this year. Uh, it will be at that number after uh, about a month, about four weeks of play. So those roster cuts are going to have to be made. As far as if any moves are going to be made on the 40-man roster at that time, probably not. Uh, the guys who are not on the 40-man roster right now are generally the the rookies and the prospects who are in East Lake training but are not on the 40-man roster. They haven't had their contracts selected and, and put on the 40-man roster because right now they don't have to be. Uh, you don't want to start the clocks too early on, you know, a 19-year-old prospect unless he's like a George Valera who, who might be a year or two away from uh, making his major league debut. But those are the exceptions. So I don't think there are any tough 40-man roster decisions. But clearly that 30-man roster cutting down to 28 and then down to 26, I think you're going to see a couple of pitchers who are, are on right now uh, get, get moved over to the Eastlake uh, alternate site. Uh, a, a guy like a Cam Hill, unless he comes in and is lights out in every outing and, and basically makes the Indians have to keep him, I would say Cam Hill, Phil Maton are guys in the bullpen who, who could be in danger. Uh, I, I think Adam Plutko is, is pretty safe as of right now just because they can use him to provide depth in the starting rotation as well. Uh, a guy who's on the roster right now but might not be there very long is a Daniel Johnson who was put on uh, earlier on Friday because Tyler Naquin's uh, big toe is still bothering him after he fouled the ball off himself early, earlier in the week. Uh, Daniel Johnson, definitely a guy who they will probably move back over to East Lake uh, once, once 
Zach Plesak has to get a spot on the roster. Right now he's not on the roster. He's sort of in limbo uh, waiting for his Tuesday start as the number five starter. So there are some decisions. I think uh, a couple of bullpen guys know that they are sort of in that middle area right now and uh, could stay, could go. But uh, as far as position players go, they've got eight outfielders. I, w- I would definitely think one or two of those guys could could probably have to go. Uh, Greg Allen, if he hasn't been used very much, would also be a guy that might see his time, uh, time calm. Uh, let's move on to the next question we have here. Is it time the tribe finally goes with youth? Uh, this question is from Jared Wenger in Nashville, Tennessee. And he wants to know if, if he knows that Tito's a veterans type guy, but it's time to interject some youth, uh, some Columbus players, so that Tito can work his magic on them. He wants to keep Yu Chang and Bradley Zimmer and admit that the Jake Bowers trade was a bad one. He thinks De, uh, Delano DeShields is an overpaid luxury. Over, I don't know where you get overpaid from, but. Uh, but he wants to see the team go with younger, enthusiastic players that have potential. I would add that younger, enthusiastic players also don't make any money, and Paul Dolan would probably agree with you there. Uh, so looking forward to baseball. Uh, we need every advantage we can get. I don't see the advantage of using uh, a roster way too heavy in, uh, in young players, but, you know, there could be something there. Who knows? Uh, as uh, yesterday we talked to Cam Hill, who made his first uh, opening day roster, uh, basically today. Uh, Cam Hill said his first time in spring training as a non-roster invitee, he walked into the clubhouse and he looked to his left, he looked to his right, and there were all-stars and Cy Young winners and veteran guys, you know, wall-to-wall in a, on a club that was, at that time, 2018, they were on their way to a third consecutive playoff appearance and division title. Uh, that, that, that same locker room when he walked in this year in 2020 uh, was full of guys that he had come up through the minor leagues with. Uh, it was, um, you know, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali, guys who he had played with in AAA and not too long ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a different look. It's a younger feel on that club. And I don't know if they know how to win as much as those veteran guys that were there back in 2018. Uh, I don't think you can just jettison some of these guys, even the younger guys who were with that club back in 2018, like a Bradley Zimmer or, uh, you know, uh, Jake Bowers wasn't around, but, but there are, are elements that you need to have in order to maintain consistency in a clubhouse. And I think without, uh, any of those veteran guys there, guys that you don't think are, are productive or, or, or somehow some way a luxury, uh, they, they do provide other things and it's that stability that, that Tito is such a master at cultivating. So, uh, Jared, I, I, I like your, your, you know, you want to see what you can, what you can get, uh, you know, you're throwing an idea out there that maybe, uh, the Indians can latch on to, but I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. All right. Uh, another uh, email here. Actually, I think 
this is from Jared. The, uh, the previous one was from Bill Drummer from Wazian. That was Bill who wanted the Indians to go with the youth movement. Uh, Jared Wenger from National Tennessee wants to know about the extra innings rule. Okay, these are the new rules that are being played uh, under this season, this 60-game season. The, um, the extra runner on second base in extra innings. In the 10th inning, if uh, the game is tied and you go to 10th inning, each team starts the inning with a runner on second base. It's the, the last uh, batter that was, was out in the game. Uh, he will uh, start on second base. What happens if the relief pitcher gives up a base hit and that runner scores? Does it count as an earned run towards their ERA, or is it unearned since they didn't let the runner on? And this would be one of those weird quirks in the scoring rules, uh, the rules of baseball, as they've changed. Uh, no, that run would not count against that relief pitcher's earned run average. He did not put that runner on base. It should not count against him. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if it did. Uh, I think that there's a, a separate category for that run scoring and, and the way to count it, but it would not count against that particular relief pitcher as an earned run. Uh, you got to, you got to figure uh, guys contracts, you know, are, are based, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. They're based sometimes on their uh, earned run averages and their, the number of inherited runners that they allow to score and, and things like that. Uh, I can't imagine that the players union would find it equitable to, you know, expose their, their relief pitchers to, such an injustice, I guess, uh, as it moves forward. All right, our final question from Dan Hashoko of University Heights. Uh, he wants to see the Dolans list the Indians on the New York Stock Exchange and use the money to keep Francisco Lindor in Cleveland. He said he'd buy stock in the Indians, and he's sure that other fans would as well. Uh, Dan, I, I, I like your moxie. I like your, your sort of, uh, your <laughs> wanting to, to throw any idea out there because Lindor is your favorite player and you want to keep him in town. But I can tell you right now, the things that will not happen, the Dolans will not sell the team. They will not list the team on the New York stock exchange and sell shares of it. Uh, and the citizens of Cleveland will never own a part of the Cleveland Indians franchise. Uh, that that's just not going to happen. It's not the way uh, pro sports economics works. But uh, you get an A plus for for thinking outside the box, Dan. Uh, again, the, the 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 your heart's in the right place. But uh, I don't think you could back a Brinks truck up to Francisco Lindor's locker right now. And there is no way that he is going to be staying in Cleveland. There's just too many factors beyond the club's inability to pay him a $35 million a year salary uh, that, that outweigh his desire to, to want to stay here. And I, I just don't see it happening. All right, guys, uh, that will about wrap it up for this post-game edition of the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. The Cleveland Indians, your winners here on opening night in Major League Baseball, 2 to nothing over the Royals, Shane Bieber, Club record 14 strikeouts uh, in an opener. Uh, Oscar Mercado and Cesar Hernandez with the RBIs that, that put the, the Indians ahead. And Brad Hand with the save. 
The Indians are 1-0, tied for first place, and on pace to win 60 games this season. Uh, we'll see how that holds up tomorrow as Mike Clevenger takes on the Royals and the Major League debut of Brady Singer on the mound for Kansas City. We'll talk to you again later on here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.